0: so very much for joining us this evening. We are so excited to worship alongside of you. How many were here last night for part one? Yeah. Wonderful. So last night we we spoke on the deconstruction of faith, and tonight is all about the reconstruction of faith and friendship. And I know that's something that we could all use to walk through and learn more about. Um, I said last night, my name is Piper. I'm the worship pastor at Northwest Church. This is my team, we're from Seattle. And uh, tonight, you'll probably hear some different things out of my Bible, because I read out of the Messianic Jewish Family Bible, where there's some Hebrew words brought in, my background is in Messianic, um, it's like a Messianic synagogue. And so I'm excited to share that part of myself with you tonight. Um, So we want to invite you into a night of worship and teaching as we move out of a dark and heavy time period and we move into the light. And it says this in Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was chaos and waste, darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Ruach Elohim, the Holy Spirit, was hovering upon the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light.
1: As talked about last night, and by the way, we want to welcome you back. If you weren't here last night, you're here tonight. Chris Goldman from Linwood, Washington. I came down with COVID on Sunday before Pepperdine and am fighting through it this week. I appreciate all the prayers and people have reached out to me. So, welcome and thanks for being here tonight. It's very disappointing not to not be with you, and I want to thank Sam Granberg, Dan and Connie Rice at Cathedral Arts Ministries. And our amazing worship team for Northwest, this group reflects for me the heart of the Restoration Movement, which is unity in Christ. So last night we talked about the deconstruction of faith conversation going on, really spurred on by the rise and fall of Marsello Podcast of Christianity today. This sparked new energy in this conversation, but the events have taken place much earlier. And deconstruction of faith isn't a new thing. It's actually what took place in the Restoration Movement, and it's also something that Jesus taught us how to do in a very healthy way. So tonight we're going to talk about reconstruction of relationships. Last night, Stan talked about how we drew lines in the sand, and then we made those lines into big trenches and engaged in relational trench warfare. So tonight we're talking about how do we rebuild, how do we recapture some of those relationships. Over the last couple of years, here's just what I observed, is people were asking really hard questions, and based on the answer that people gave, people kind of said, well, you go that way, I'm going to go this way. But it wasn't that there were two directions. It wasn't that this was just political to the right or the left. No, it began to fan out into every possible direction you could imagine until my social map began to look like this, and it was really just crazy. To try to get through. So, one verse that I gravitated to that I believe is valuable in this conversation tonight is from Colossians 3:12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And now, if you will, uh, we are going to take a minute to hear from the life of C.S. Lewis. Last night, we heard about his deconstruction. Tonight, we're going to hear about his reconstruction. So please, if you will, welcome to the stage, C.S. Lewis scholar, Connie Rice.
2: I shared a little bit from C.S. Lewis's uh, spiritual biography, Surprised by Joy. And I shared with you when, with the death of his mother, at about the age of nine, she died of cancer. And he prayed that God would heal her. And even when his mother died, he prayed for a miracle. And when that prayer wasn't answered, it was the beginning of his moving towards atheism which became very well established in his life uh, later as uh, he went through uh, school and on into college world war one but what i want to share with you today uh, tonight from the same book is from the chapter called checkmate and it's a wonderful section of, of this uh, biography and in it he talks about the first event that takes place in which god speaks to him and i want to share that with you and then i'll make a few comments the odd thing that was before god closed in on me note his wording here i was in fact offered what now appears a moment of wholly free choice. In a sense, I was going up Pettington Hill on the top of a bus. This would be one of those bright red, double-decker buses like you see in England and in Oxford, and the upper level is open to the air. Without words, and I think almost without images, a fact about myself was somehow presented to me I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out, or if you like, that I was wearing some stiff clothing like corsets or even a suit of armor, as if I were a lobster. I felt myself being there and then given a free choice. I could open the door or keep it shut. I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. Neither choice was presented as a duty. No threat or promise was attached to either. Though I knew that to open the door or to take off the corslet meant the incalculable. The choice appeared to be momentous, but it was also strangely unemotional. I was moved by no desires or fears. In a sense, I was not moved by anything. I chose, to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. I say chose, yet it did not really seem possible to do the opposite. On the other hand, I was aware of no motives. You could argue that I was not a free agent, but I am more inclined to think that this came nearer to being a perfectly free act than most that I have ever done. Necessity may not be the opposite of freedom, and perhaps a man is is most free, when instead of producing motives, he could only say, I am what I do. Then came their uh, percussion on the imaginative level. I felt as if I were a man of snow, at long last, beginning to melt. The melting was starting in my back drip, drip, and presently, trickle, trickle. I rather disliked the feeling. I know in my own spiritual journey, uh, unlike Lewis, I came to the Lord as a little girl, um, almost without outside influence. And uh, growing up in my spiritual life, I realized that there were many times when God was speaking to me and I was holding him at arm's length. And I think you probably have all experienced that. You might even be doing that right now. But like Lewis, we're given that free choice to open up, to unbuckle, to let God in. And I think that's part of what this reconstruction that we're talking about tonight is about is that we want to come to that place even though we've been wounded disappointed uh, we might have despaired we might be here this evening without much hope and our faith has been shaken or shattered but god wants to come in he wants to invade our lives and we need to just be open and i hope tonight you will be open through the music through the art through the receiving of the word, that God might speak to you and draw you in to him.
3: Well, it is good to see you here. You know, tonight's Thursday night. Thursday night is tired night. So if you feel tired, you are absolutely allowed to do that because it's tired night tonight. My name's Stan Granberg. I'm filling in for Chris Goldman. I talked with him this afternoon. He's doing a little bit better, but he's just so disappointed not to be able to be here with you. But I'm glad that I have this opportunity Uh, Piper, thank you for sharing with us from your Messianic Bible. I I brought my special Bible tonight. I just wanted to share a little bit about this. Seven years ago, I started uh, journaling in my Bibles, and I have a Bible, Well, at least I will, for every grandchild that I have, and when they graduate, the first one will graduate next year, I'm going to give them that Bible that I used for that year and, and journaled in uh, this is my seventh year, so I'm halfway through my grandkids now. I hope I can keep up with them as they start to start to graduate. But it's been a delightful journey to share with them my life as I've experienced it day by day through this uh, through this journaling Bible. If you weren't here last night, we talked about the deconstruction of faith. Uh, that that's even uh, it's an a weird word is probably something that we choose most of the time to try to put beside us and to ignore. But we talked about the phases, that there are actual phases of that deconstruction of faith. That first phase is that steady, stable point. And then in phase two, we run into something whether it be an experience, an event, an idea, a person and they don't fit in whatever that category or box of faith that we're we're trying to put it in and it begins to undo and unravel our faith and that leads us to the third phase which is we're, we're just trying to make some sense of it we come disoriented and dizzy and sometimes even emptied out, and that leads us to phase four, which is the scary phase, the emotional phase, where we're trying to figure out what in the world has gone on and how do we we approach this, which leads us finally to phase five, which is moving to one of two steady states. Either we begin to reassemble our faith and to gather it together so it makes sense in the light of that new experience that we've had, or we demolition it and we leave it behind us, which is just a very un, unimaginable, almost deconstruction of faith. But so many have gone through that. And tonight we're going to move into that reconstruction of our faith. Uh, the reconstruction of faith really requires us to work on relationship which sounds a little bit counterintuitive because in faith about knowing things. Well, there's some knowledge certainly that's a part of it that Paul talked about after his conversion that he went and spent three years rethinking through his faith and then maybe another 14 years of figuring out how to actually live with that newly reconstructed faith. In Galatians chapters 1 and 2, he, he talks about that journey. But faith is not so much about what we know or what we believe. Faith is about our relationship with God. And because faith is more about a relationship than it is about what we know or what we believe, we have to, well, we are best served by dealing and reconstructing our relationship by doing it in the context of relationship. The problem is that as people go through that deconstruction, they tend to withdraw, they tend to pull away, they tend to disappear. And we wonder, what's happened to so-and-so? Where are they? I haven't seen them in a while. And it's because they hide themselves out because of that sense of not knowing who they are or how they fit or, or if they even have a place amongst us anymore. And so it becomes up to us as God's people to take those steps into their lives so that we draw them back into that relationship so they can begin to deal with the reconstruction of their faith. One of the reasons that we don't do well without a church around us is that we lose our own perspective on ourselves. The community of God's people is not something that we can just give away whenever we want it is vital to the life and the health of our faith. And it's the perspective that others are able to give us on our own life that can sometimes challenge us, sometimes comfort us, sometimes give us direction that we need to make those next few steps ahead. And so the reconstruction of faith is really about relationship and the strength of our relationship. You know, some people, they become very relationally stuck and frozen out. It took me a while to figure out what Chris was doing with this this little piece here. But then, remember, if I, I told you last night that the last time I filled in for Chris, I got snowed in for two days in the Cascade Mountains. I actually saw something just like this. Someone had left their car at the side of the road, and when I came by after things were opened up enough so we could get across the path, all you saw was this four feet of snow that was humped over and a little bit of that car sticking out just like this photo here. You know, and and when we become relationally stuck, we don't typically plan to get stuck like that, but it becomes our emotional response to that insecurity that we feel as our faith is challenged and having to be redone. And at other times, people just simply kind of, well, I don't know what they do. Next slide. They just kind of get themselves stuck in an awkward position. I don't know how in the world these people got there, and I don't know how in the world they're going to be able to get themselves out. But so many times, that's what happens with people around us here's what paul says about this kind of situation in galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 he said brothers if anyone is caught well i'd say that person right there is just pretty well caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness you know when we get caught in those awkward situations oh they are so embarrassing My kids, they always tell me, Dad said, whenever we did something that was wrong, questionable, stupid, you'd always ask us that most terrible, awful question. I said, what question is that? They said, oh, Dad, you know what it is. What were you thinking? (laughs) There's no right answer to that question. Because if you say, well, I wasn't thinking, well, okay, let's see what happens. Or, I was thinking, and it wasn't very clear, it wasn't very good. And just sometimes that's what happens with us as we go through these broken, deconstructed faith times that we feel like everyone's just asking us, what were you thinking? And so it leaves us in that place that is just so awkward and so difficult. get out of. So these same kind of things have happened socially, culturally around us over these last few years. Next slide. Have you ever seen that movie uh, with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, uh, Night and Day? If I did this, you would say what? If you're with me, what's this? Have you guys not seen that movie? It is <laughs> yeah, a really good movie. <coughs> you this. Tom Cruise and the if you're with me, your chances are like that. Without me, within me, without me. And, and what he's trying to say is, we got to simplify this. And we seek that simplification of life. And as we've gone through this COVID period, what's happened is, first, we've put people into sorting boxes. Because we want to the more stress and anxiety that we feel we need to simplify things so that we can deal with it because we are overwhelmed with everything else going on around us and so we say we can put them in this box or this box and as we begin to put people in those sorting boxes then they become and next slide they become these cultural camps if i would say the word sticks and stones may how would you finish that Break my, bones. Break my bones. Well, you know, on the kindergarten playground, that sounded okay. It, it kind of helped us a little bit. But if only sticks and stones just broke bones, but those words, they are not nearly as easy to heal from. And as those cultural camps began to form, we began to have the shouting. We began to have the uh, the accusations. People began actually selling their homes and moving away. Uh, Defriending became the alternative of life, and not just defriending on Facebook, but defriending out of my life. And we began to only hear the voices that we wanted to hear. And if you start listening to radio or TV, they begin to tell us, oh, if you'll just give us all of your social media platforms, we'll begin to send you the messages that you want to hear. And pretty soon all we hear is the cloud that begins to build around us of the boxes and the camps that we put ourselves in. And then pretty soon what happens is that we find that others have put us into their boxes. And now they're screaming at us and befriending us and engaging with us in those most thoughtless ways possible. And we wonder how in the world did we come to this? It was that desire for simplification beginning to put people into those boxes that separate us relationally. And we've done that in church as well. And what God seeks to do is to bring us back into a renewed state where we're not having to deal with those pandemic issues or those racial issues or those political ideologies without a context that can guide us and bring us to a state of wholeness. It's become so strong in our lives, this political ideology that people have even begun to misplace and mistake who Jesus is. Next slide. We are a nation, but we are not just the only nation that claims Christianity. Jesus is far bigger than who we are. I we give a thanks to our worship team. Thank you, Dan, for the painting that you've been doing for us. know, people who are artists are specially blessed. I think they are twice blessed people by the Lord God Almighty. They hear God in a different way, and they're able to share it with us in ways that touch our hearts. In March, March 2020, there was a day when most churches of America stood empty. And for the next few weeks, few months, we wondered how in the world could we maintain ourselves as congregations of God's people when we weren't able to meet. And those empty churches began to fill up in different ways as we began to go to screens and to video and began to share in small groups and on lawns and under trees. And eventually as we began to trickle back into our churches, but you know many people didn't make it back. And many churches have been wondering, how do we get past that idea that we were an empty church? Why don't people come and what can we do about it? And so I wrote a book called that, Empty Church. Why don't people come and what to do about it? And for Pepperdine for this week, you can get it on Amazon. If you go to Empty Church at Amazon and put in my name, Stanley Gramberg, it'll come up. And you can get the e-book for for a, a, a highly discounted price. Because I want you to have that for a blessing for your church. Because I think it will help you answer. So many of the questions that we have what do we do today when so many times it seems so much harder to be a healthy and dynamic church, but there are things that we can do. As we begin to close tonight, we are going to talk about three steps to move towards the reconstruction of our relationships. You know, the first thing we need to realize is that the, the difference between reconstruction and demolition sometimes don't lie all that far apart. You know, demolition only takes minutes to happen. All it takes is an angry word. All it takes is, is an email written in haste. All it takes is a quick click on defriending someone, and we can burn those relational bridges forever and find it so difficult to come back into that relationship. And so we we need to remember that demolition just takes a few minutes, but it may take time, lots of time, to restore those relationships. And so before you begin to do those things, here's just a few key little phrases to remember. You know, think before you speak. And that's so simple, but sometimes it is so hard to do. So, my mom would always tell me something if you can't think before you speak, or if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That's oftentimes the best course of action. And pause before you send, because in those few seconds of pause, God may speak to you a different message than the one that you've written to send. And before you defriend someone on your Facebook account, How can you first befriend them? So befriend before you defriend. I would like to be a little bit confessional with you tonight. Last week, I was with my son-in-law, Jared King, who's planted the Missio Church in Seattle. And we were were reflecting on the four years as they had just celebrated their fourth birthday, of which COVID was half of. Of their lifespan as a church and, and looking at what God had been doing in people's lives and how people had been responding to them. And some of the hurts and some of the betrayals that had come through that period of time. You know, all of us get hurt, but boy, those betrayals of ministry seem to cut so deeply. And I began to tell Jared a story that I've told so many times since we've been back. When we were in Kenya, I had a good friend. His name was Isaac Morugu. And Isaac uh, and his church at Gankere. we were doing a study on the book of Colossians. And it was a week-by-week study. And during the week, they had a little workbook. And they would read a few passages and answer some questions. And then do what God had asked them to do. It was a very simple practice of being an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ. And we made a pact together as we began that study that if we come together and someone has not been able to do the activity for that week that that meant that we hadn't quite understood it hadn't made the 12-inch drop from our head into our hearts yet and so we'd study it again and we got to the third week and it was about forgiveness and the fourth week came, and we came back, and we were asking people how they'd done forgiveness, and Isaac began to shake his head. And he says, oh, Stanley, Stanley, that lesson was too hard for me. It was too hard. You were asking too much from me. And I said, Isaac, I am not asking you anything, I don't think. He said, yes, you are. You are asking me to forgive. And you know that my neighbor said, We have not spoken to each other for 14 years. 14 years. And I said, why? He said, because our fathers got into a fight because someone cut the wrong branch on the wrong side of the fence. And I thought, oh my goodness. That was an OMG moment. And so we said, well, you know, we made a pact that if we haven't been able to do our homework that we're going to have to repeat it. And so we repeated that lesson, and the next week came, and Azaka came back, and we were going around, and he said, oh, "I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it." And so we studied it again. The third week of it, he came back, and he came back with a smile on his face, and he said, "You know what happened? I was out digging in my shamba in my garden." And the, the Jojo, the, the grandmother, came by and she said, Muga Aizaka, which is, hello, Aizaka. And he said, I stopped there, and so said, I can't say anything. And then he said, oh, God, what would Jesus do? That had, hadn't even become a bracelet over here, but it had already happened <laughs> over there. He so said, what would Jesus do? And he said, so I stopped and I said, Muga Muno, which is their response to say hello. And I said, what happened? And he said, she started talking to me. And I said, what did he do? And he said, I started talking back with her. And he said, and then you know what happened? And I said, I don't. What happened? He said, she invited me into her house for chai and bread. And I went, really? What did he do? He said, I went and sat down and had chai and bread for the first time in 14 years. I've told that story so many times and then one day I had a friend who asked me to write a letter for someone who had hurt me very, very, very deeply. This friend was working with this man and he said he going on the walk to Emmaus And when they get through with that walk, that weekend, that they get a letter, they get letters from people who have been significant into their lives, and I would like you to write a letter for him. I hadn't spoken to that man in 20 years. I found myself with my friend Isaac, wondering how to restore a relationship that had become so hard in my heart that I couldn't even go to that place to deal with it. So like I saw I sat there and I thought I don't know if I can do this God. And his answer was what would Jesus do? So I sat down it took me quite a while to write that letter. And I can't say that that man and I have become dear and bosom friends, but we are talking friends. And we've shared multiple times, we've sat down with each other, and we've talked, and we've prayed with each other, for each other. And I've let that hurt be healed. Because what happens when we break those relationships and we we let that hard place in our heart grow and take over is it becomes something that we nurse. And that pain and that hurt becomes something that begins to become part of our identity. And we wall that piece off from Jesus and we say, Lord, take all of me except. The strange thing is the only person who gets hurt in that is us. Because soon those hard places, they become festering wounds. They begin to move us even away from Jesus. God said to Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 27, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put that spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God is willing to do for us. You know, but he has already done it because that second step in reconstruction is that someone has to have the courage to go first. I look at this picture that Chris gave me, and that's not the picture that I would have chosen. (laughs) I would have had someone in a cold lake putting the toe in and (laughs) testing the water, because it's hard to make that step into those icy waters of forgiveness. They are not warm and inviting. They are actually just pretty difficult and pretty bone chilling to think of getting into that water of forgiveness. But someone has to take the first step. Someone has to break the ice. Someone has to make the plunge. Someone has to be willing to say, I don't even know what to say, but I want to be. I want to be. I want to be with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be in wholeness with you. I want to be in peace with you. Someone has to take the first step. Someone has to be vulnerable because we're scared that what if the other one doesn't see? Or what if the other one doesn't respond? Or what if they respond in the anger? And those are all the risks that we have to take because until we take the step, until we make the plunge, we don't know what the other person is going to do. But the question is really not about the other person. The question is about me because the problem is really in my heart. And that's what I have to approach. And that's what I have to deal with is my heart. And if I can deal with my heart, then I perhaps have opened the opportunity for the other person to begin to work on their heart. And as God restores our hearts, He can restore our relationships. But even as those relationships are restored, it doesn't mean that things go back to some kind of the normal, because Stage three or step three is that reconstruction incorporates and includes healthy boundaries. Because something happened that caused that hurt in the first place. And and we can't allow those things to begin to happen again. And so we put the boundaries of health around our relationship. Healthy growth requires boundaries. Children do better when they have the boundaries of life. And that's why the two-year-old looks at their parents when their mom says, No, don't touch that. And you know exactly what that child does, right? And they're not trying to be rebellious at two years old. They're not trying to be... To be mean, they're trying to see, does mom really mean mean what she says? Because mom is that stable boundary of life that protects me. And we have to teach that to our kids, that boundaries are good. And even as we grow into adults, boundaries become good for us. But we don't call our boundaries those yes and no things. We call them those choices that we make. And the biggest choice we can ever make is to say Jesus is king over my life. Because when we make that one choice, make that one statement of Jesus is king, it answers so many other questions that could come to face us in life, and now we don't really have to answer those questions because we've said Jesus is king. And so now when those questions of life come and how do we act and how do we behave and what do we do we first think of i am a jesus person i am a jesus follower and we ask ourselves that same question that isaac asked what would jesus do and he guides us through those boundaries and some of those boundaries that we need to put around us in our relationships are very simple Here's three of those boundaries. I I think you already know them, but let me me remind you of them. Use your words. Use your words. Don't just yell and throw a tantrum and be mad or stomp away or slam the door. Use your words. Because there's something about words that breathes life. Into us. Words are living and tangible. They have power. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And He has vested that same power of communication into us. And so use your words. Don't hit or bite. No matter which way that comes from, I mean, typically as adults, we don't typically hit each other, though there is that physical abuse that families oftentimes experience. And we can't tell someone, no, you just need to forgive the other and and just go back to the way things were, because the way things were, we're not right, we're not healthy. So we don't hit or bite in whatever way that comes about. The third one is, say, you're sorry. I'm sorry. And your mom or your dad say, say, you're sorry. And what they're asking us to do is to reflect on our own heart. And they're asking us to say, what's in your heart? What's down deep? What are you willing to risk? All that in those Three little words say you're sorry. When I'm coaching with churches with church leaders, with people who have spent their life in the the footsteps of Jesus, and they have been tasked and anointed by their congregations to be their leaders, we always start with saying, okay, we've got three rules as we go through this, Number one, we're going to be communication extroverts, which is what? Use your words. We're going to be communication extroverts. We're going to deal with problems and not people. We're going to separate those. This is not a people problem. This is a problem that's out here, and we are the people who are looking at the problem. And so we don't hit or bite. And then finally, we are people of respect. We are people of respect. We are able to say, I'm sorry. You know, and and if we as God's people just put those few simple boundaries up around us, it will change the way we deal with our relationships. And as a community of God's people, what he has done for us is put us into a place where we can practice these things. We can practice using our words and not just leave and never come back to church. We can practice not hitting and biting, not sending those emails or those letters out or making those destructive phone calls. We can say, I'm sorry. And through those things, God works within our hearts to soften them up. And he puts within them, within us, a heart of flesh. May God shine his face upon you. May his spirit blow fresh wind in your life every day. And may the works of your life be good. Because you are a person of God.
0: So before we leave you on our final two songs of worship, I'd like to direct your attention over here i'm sure you've been watching this fascinating process of canvas come to life uh within the last two evenings literally yesterday it was a blank canvas and today it has become it has transformed into something incredible so dan um dan and his wife connie are um They run Cathedral Art Ministries, and I would love for you, Dan, to tell us more about your awesome ministry. Thank
4: you. Thank you very much. Uh, Well, I don't know how awesome it is, but it's fun uh, and has uh, some true significance. Uh, Cathedral Arts Ministries, plural, uh, is what we do. We call it CAM. And there is some literature out on the a table up there if you'll take a, a newsletter it'll, it'll tell you a little bit about what we do I do live painting, Connie does lectures and talks about C.S. Lewis and things like that but actually what we do is we go to churches and colleges and schools as well like high schools and those kind of things uh, that's our uh, that's our projected uh, goal is to you know, target uh, people or churches and uh, colleges and schools and uh, we would like to go to a lot of places, but some people don't have the financial uh, bandwidth to actually uh, bring us in, and so we ask for people to support us. We're, we ask uh, right now. We're look. Actually, we're looking for 100 people who will give us a dollar a day. Just I mean, that's like almost effortless, right? A buck a day, and uh, and that's like 30 bucks a month. So. Uh, We can go to smaller churches as well as larger churches. We're we're part of Northwest Church in uh, Seattle as well. So uh, large and small. Um, But this particular uh, painting that I'm doing, I I did four, actually five paintings, four for Advent and just one another uh, recently. In in the um, the newsletter, there's a picture of those kinds of things. And uh, this is um, a painting done for... Uh, this particular uh, service and uh, this particular um, uh, celebration you know, this session. Uh, It looks like a big sheet of plywood, but that's just what's on the back. It's actually a a canvas, a very uh, it's actually an expensive canvas and uh, I can roll it up and put it in a tube and send it to your house if you'd like to buy it. And uh, if you did do that, it would really help uh, Cathedral Arts Ministries. But I have uh, been using uh, these, uh, this paint and, and these uh, elements to talk about deconstruction and reconstruction. So on the left-hand side, you'll see that um, uh, well, first of all, you see the two big hands in the center, but on the left-hand side you see these cooler colors and uh, particles of different kinds of things that are just floating and there's no real form to them. But as they pass in, you can tell they're being drawn through the a hole in the hand, <laughs> and uh, and through the light, and when they come out the other side, they become a whole person, and um, it, it's, it's also particleized on that side as well, because it, when you go through Reconstruction, some things get left behind, you know what I'm saying, uh, like the bad attitudes or the things that Stanley was talking about, but you become a whole person, You become a new person, and this is how we do overcome the deconstruction of our own life, of our faith, religion, those kinds of things that we go through, even culture. It has to pass through Christ, and when it does pass through Christ, it becomes something whole. And so that's about about all I can really tell you tonight, but um, it's uh, something we love to do, and we would love to come to your church, we'd love to come to your college, or your school and uh, and talk to you about C.S. Lewis, other kinds of literature. We also put on uh, uh, public events that we help churches bridge the gap between culture and their own ministries, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great and fun experience. And we've been doing it a long time, and we like it. The Lord
0: bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus Christ, who alone is the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful night.